Well, hey guys, my name is Ryan Rohan and I am the new Milton campus pastor here at Stone Creek. My family and I, we're so pumped and we're thrilled and we're honored to be in this place and to be partnered with you guys. I have the most beautiful wife in the world, Ashley. We've been married almost uh, 10 years. I have the three best kids you'll ever meet in your entire life unless you show up at my house close to bedtime or nap time. We have Riley, who's four, Bradley, who's two, and Carly, who's one. We're so pumped to be a part of this family. We're so pumped to be in front of you today. Let me pray for us and we'll jump right in. Jesus, thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for this place. Thank you so much for these people that are watching me on a screen. I pray, Jesus, that you'll interpret my words, that Jesus, you'll speak life, you'll whisper into the ears of everyone that watches this video. And I pray, Jesus, we can become more like you and that Jesus will make you famous. In Jesus' name, amen. It was in the orange light of a late afternoon that Sergeant Redis and Sergeant Torres was in a mile-long convoy of 33 armed vehicles. As they crossed the Tigris River into Al-Amira, Iraq, they began to hear pinging noises all around them. Sergeant Redis and Sergeant Torres couldn't grab any form of communication except for a, an old walkie-talkie on a bungee cord hanging from their rearview mirror. Before it was too late, there was a, a massive explosion behind their vehicle. Sergeant Redis and Sergeant Torres was knocked unconscious. Several minutes passed and as they awoke from their consciousness, they, they saw the 28 trucks in front of them. But there was hope. There were four more vehicles behind. A boxy big rig holding ammo and guns for a nearby base. But the last vehicle in line was a wrecker whose only job was to pick up stranded vehicles like theirs. As the wrecker pulled up, Sergeant Redis said that the wrecker kind of stalled to a stop. Sergeant Redis and the driver of the wrecker, they locked eyes with each other, but the wrecker drove on. The Sergeant Redis and Sergeant Torres were left behind. They had nowhere else to go. Now, now church, Stay with me for a second, because before we pass judgment on the driver of the wrecker, I wanna ask you a question. Have you ever locked eyes with someone knowing that they're hurting, knowing that they're in trouble, knowing that a tragedy just hit their lives and you lock eyes with them, but then you just turn and walk away? Maybe it's every morning when you head into work and there's the exit off 400. You see the homeless guy in the morning and in the afternoon, you lock eyes with him, but you just keep on going. Maybe it's when you enter into your office, there's that one man or that one woman who, who always had a drama-filled weekend. You dodge them and you go the other way. Students, it's the one kid who always has a problem. Or maybe it's even in your own home. Your wife, she's hurting, you're, your husband, he's afraid. You lock eyes with him. You have this intimate moment and you walk away. There's tons of stories throughout the Bible that Jesus speaks about looking people in the eyes and what do we do? 
One of these stories is in Luke chapter 10. And as you turn there and grab your Bible or use your phone, I wanna recap the story before we jump in. In the beginning of Luke 10, there's a, a lawyer and he approaches Jesus and he, and he asks Jesus this question. Maybe you've asked the question the same. Hey, Jesus, how do I inherit the kingdom of God? Or Jesus, how do I get to heaven? And Jesus responds with this man and, and Jesus responds and says, hey, love God with all of your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that, that's pretty simple, right? If you wanna live in eternity in heaven one day, love God and love your neighbor. But, but the lawyer asked the second question and he asked Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus answers him in Luke chapter 10, verse 30. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed leaving him half dead. Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a 17 mile journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. The terrain dropped 4,000 feet. People would make this journey and they would bypass caves and taverns, dark corners and shady men. And this one man, scholars believe he was a Jewish man, began to make this trek from Jerusalem to Jericho and he was attacked and he was beaten. Everything that he had was stolen from him, was taken from him. He was laying on the path naked and bloody. The path from Jerusalem to Jericho was called the way of the blood because of all the bloodshed that happened on the path. And, and there was this, this man, hopeless, afraid, scared, giving up on his entire life all alone. And the story continues. It says, now by chance, a priest, a pastor was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Are you, are you kidding me? A pastor, Stephen Gibbs, is walking down the path. He, he sees someone in need and he, he kind of sidesteps him and gets out of the way. I mean, this path wasn't a four-lane highway. It was like the width of a sidewalk. And this pastor tiptoes around and walks by. A priest, it's like an elder or a deacon or, or a regular churchgoer, a person who's on fire for Jesus and is pursuing Jesus. He, he walks down this path. He, he sees this man in need. He locks eyes with him and just continues along the way. Are you kidding me? See, these people in this story, they, they all had the label. But none of them chose to love those around them. It isn't one of the, the biggest barriers in our lives to, to following Jesus is knowing that people have the label as Christian, but they don't choose to love? I mean, you have those people around you, right? As you're talking to people in the office or at your school, people tell you all the time, I don't wanna become a Christian because all Christians are hypocrites. It's the label. And it's a barrier that's formed between people and the love of Jesus. What is your label and are you choosing to love? Let's continue on with the story. It says, but a Samaritan, 
as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And Jesus asks, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer, he goes, the one who showed mercy. A Samaritan came by. Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. Jews felt like Samaritans were, were half-breeds, were, were nobodies. It would be like rival gangs in LA and New York. If you came across a Jew, if you were a Samaritan, you would definitely turn the other way. You didn't get along. You didn't hang out. You didn't speak. You didn't care about the other person. But, but this Samaritan man was coming down on his animal, and most scholars believe it was a donkey, the Samaritan man, he, he jumps off his donkey and he begins to take care of this Jewish man. Now, again, I'm a father of three, three kids under four in both vehicles. My wife and I, uh, we have first aid kits in the back of our car. I don't think this man had a first aid kit on the back of his donkey, but the scripture says that he had oil and he had wine. And this man jumped off his donkey. He began to pour oil on the skin of this naked, bloody man to loosen his wounds. And he, and he began to pour wine on his wounds to disinfect him. And I just imagine this Samaritan man ripping his own clothes because he had no bandages, trying to, to stop the blood and to stop the pain. Did you catch it? The Samaritan man got off his donkey. Church, can I say it? Hey, get off your donkey. Go on the other side of your street. When you're walking around your neighborhood, say hello to a neighbor. Look deep into the eyes of those around you and actually not just live with the label, but begin to love where you live. Get off your donkey. So often in scripture, we, we, we know what scripture says, but we fail to do it. Let me ask you a question. Who do you relate to the most? The Good Samaritan, the Jew, the priest, the Levite? I think about that question. If you were walking down the road, who would you be? Or who are you? What if, what if I said you were looking at it wrong? Most often in the story, we look at ourselves and say, are we the Christian? Are we the pastor? And maybe you are, you feel like you're the good Samaritan, but, but church, you're the man on the road. Life has sideswiped you. The, the economy is crippling you. Tragedy has transformed your life and, and you're the man, you're the woman who's naked, who's bloody, who's frustrated, who's about to give up on life. And Jesus, Jesus is the good Samaritan. Jesus got off his donkey. Jesus got off his throne. Jesus came to earth. He began to walk these paths and every person that he chose to look at, he cared for. 
Jesus didn't just have the label of, of, of Messiah. Jesus didn't have the label of King, but Jesus chose to love where he lived and he loves every single one of us. Jesus loves you. And, and just like the Good Samaritan picked up the man and put this man on a donkey and rode him into town and gave him care and said, hey, I will be back for you one day. Jesus promises you and I the same. Haven't you had times in your life where Jesus picked you up? You were down, you were out, you were hopeless, you were helpless. And, and the only way you survived is because Jesus picked you up. Maybe he threw you on his back and Jesus took you and he nourished you and he gave you the right medicine, and he gave you the right kind of love to get you back on your feet. And Jesus promises you, and Jesus promises me, I'm not just gonna leave you here. I'm not just gonna rescue you now, but I'm coming back one day, and I'm gonna gather you up, and I'm gonna have relationship with you forever. And then Jesus says this, and it's the last statement he makes. He looks at the lawyer, and he goes, hey, and you, you go and do likewise. Likewise, when you see someone hurting, get off your donkey. Hey, hey, likewise, when you see someone lifeless, pick them up. Hey, hey, likewise, when you see someone heartbroken, give them love. As you walk through the streets of your neighborhood, I beg you that you look people in their eyes and this is all we have to do, right? We can't go to the playground. We can't watch sports in our living room. But what you and I can do is walk the streets of our neighborhood. And yes, you should stay six feet apart. But can you just give a small smile to someone walking next to you? Would you be as bold to, when your neighbor comes and grabs their mail? Would you be so bold just to say, hey, I know I've lived here five years, but I forgot your name, go, you go, and you go, and husband, and you go, and wife, and you go, hey, and your kids, and you go, and we go, likewise. When I was 11 years old, I wasn't a believer. I didn't grow up into the church, and when I was 11, I, I decided to hop on the bus to go to middle school. I sat on my same seat and there was a girl named Rochelle and she was sitting right next to me. And she asked me this one question. She goes, hey, Ryan, do you want a WWJD bracelet? I looked at her, I knew the WWJD bracelets were popular and she was pretty. And so I was like, hey, yeah, let me grab one. I put a WWJD bracelet on my wrist. I wore it for two or three weeks and until it eventually fell off. At 13, I finally had the opportunity to give my life over to Jesus. Jesus rescued me and, and I, I was the, the man on the road and, and Jesus took me up. And I remember from 13 to 19, I, I, I would go over and beyond trying to make Jesus famous. I, I would grab the grocery carts in the middle of the parking lot at Publix and bring them in. I would hold the doors open for old men and women. I would stop on the side of the road and help people change a tire because I so desperately wanted them to know that I didn't just have the label as Christian, but I actually decided to love those around me. And at 19, I 
I remember Rochelle, who as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, didn't just have the label, but she chose to love. And she loved me by giving me a WWJD bracelet. So at 19, I got onto Amazon and I bought 100 WWJD bracelets thinking, man, I, I so desperately want to wear one of these for the rest of my life. So I, I would remind myself, I'm not just a label, but I have this, I have this task. I, I have this purpose to love others. And so from 19 on, I, I've, I've worn a WWJD bracelet. I've worn one in my wedding. I've worn one in every birth of every kid that's mine. And I wear this not, not to remind myself what would Jesus do, but to remind myself, hey, I'm not just a label, but I'm destined to love. I think one of the easiest ways that you and I could forego this label and love is just to love where you live. Love where you live. Every single one of you lives somewhere. You may be living back with your parents right now, you may be living in a college dorm. You may be living in an apartment complex. You may be living in your car, but every single one of us live somewhere. And did you know that, that Jesus destined you to live where you live right now? In Acts chapter 17, verse 26, it says, and he made from one man, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. God has specifically placed you where you live. He has created the boundaries around where you live. Seven years ago, Ashley and I moved to San Antonio, Texas. As we moved in our big moving truck into the driveway of our rental house, there was an 83-year-old man next door weed-eating his grass. As I was peeking at him and seeing how far he would weed-eat into my area of the grass, I noticed he was getting closer and closer to my driveway. And I don't know if this is a rule for you, but a man rule for me is don't ever let another man weed eat your grass, especially if the weed eater plugs in. <laughs> I got out of my moving truck and Steve, the first thing he said to me was, hey, are you the new neighbors? I said, yeah, I, I'm, I'm one of the new neighbors. And he goes, well, I'm Steve and my wife, Catherine. We both live here. We're so glad you're here. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you live next to a rental house. And, and who knows what kind of tenants are gonna be walking into this house, but, but he was glad that we were there. A couple of weeks went by and as we were having conversations through our yard, he came to me one day and said, hey, I know Ashley is a teacher in downtown San Antonio at a rough school. I wanna give you this. And he gave me this box of pencils that he had been collecting for 50 years. And he says, hey, look, I, I know all of her students might not have the ability to have a pencil. Can you give these to her so she can give them to her students? And then he said this, he goes, and if any of those kids ever give her any trouble, I will come down there and I will whoop there. That's Steve. Three months into our uh, relationship with Steve and Catherine, Catherine gave me a call that, that Steve had cancer again. Well, Steve had cancer two times previously, but he was much younger and he defeated the cancer twice, but this cancer was much different. Uh, this cancer was taking its toll much more quickly so I began to have these interactions with Steve and Catherine, dinner in their home, began to, to love on them and 
pray with them. Uh, Catherine would call me at all hours of the night and ask me if I could pick up Steve and, and take him to the restroom because she was unable. And I remember sitting in the restroom, looking Steve in his eyes and going, come on, man, you can do it. You can use the restroom. Several more months passed and, and Catherine told me that, that Steve was on his last leg, that we need to have dinner together just to have kind of one last time together. I asked Catherine, hey, what's Steve's favorite drink? And Catherine said, it's, it's Jack and Coke. So we came over to dinner with them, sat around the table. We had crawfish etouffee. And at the very end of dinner, I asked Catherine, are we, are we ready for the drinks? Catherine nodded her head. And so I made the drinks and I gave a drink to Steve and I took a drink. And I looked Steve in his eyes. I said, Steve, man, I, I love you. I, I will always care for you. I will always be here for you and your family. Even when you go, I will take care of Catherine. I love you, man. And I only love you because Jesus has chosen to love me. That Jesus chose to, came, to come from heaven to earth to rescue me. And so I just wanna let you know, man, I love you. Can I tell you that, that Steve slurped down that drink faster than anybody I've ever seen? A couple weeks later, I came over and got to pray over Steve as, as he took his last breaths. Did Steve and Catherine need me? They didn't. But I actually believe that, that Jesus destined Ashley and I to live in the rental house right next door to them. That in Acts 17, when, when Jesus says he, he destined us, he set the boundaries around the place we live, that, that he was intentional with that for me. And he's been intentional about that with you. Wherever you live, it's Jesus who created that space for you. You remember Sergeant Redis and Sergeant Torres? They were surrounded by all sides. They jumped out of their vehicle. They escaped in an abandoned building. They jumped out of the building, fell 30 feet. Redis broke some ribs. They ran three miles, hijacked a vehicle, and they rode back into the army base where all their neighbors were. Could you imagine that conversation? As 60 plus men surround Sergeant Redis and Sergeant Torres, Sergeant Redis may have said, are, are you kidding me? You left me. You left me to die. I needed you and you left me. Church, what if we get to heaven one day and this isn't gonna happen? But what if we're in heaven and we're, we're next to Jesus? And, and as Jesus is, is bringing people into heaven and, and people are walking into his love and his relationship, we see this line of people and some people are entering in and some people, Jesus are saying, I, I didn't know you. And then there's your neighbor. Maybe he's your next door neighbor. Maybe it's the neighbor down the street or maybe it's the neighbor in your neighborhood. And Jesus looks at him and says, I, I don't know you. And as the man or as the woman or as the family begins to walk away, they peek over their shoulder and they ask you the question, really? Like I knew you had the label of Christian, but you never loved me. I saw you pull out of your driveway every Sunday morning, but you never asked me my name. Church, I don't wanna live in that world. And I know you don't either. And I know we're not gonna let coronavirus kill God's call on our life. 
We know that you're probably seeing your neighbor more now than ever before. And we have an opportunity to change our neighborhood, to change the label of Christianity. We're not leaving our parking lot. We're not leaving our driveway every Sunday. We're staying in our neighborhood. And in what if church, you can make a difference in the neighbors around you. Hey church, your neighbor doesn't need you, but they desperately, they desperately want you. Can I pray with you? Jesus, thank you so much for this time. I pray, Jesus, that we can look at this story and we can see ourselves as the man. And Jesus, that we can see you as the Good Samaritan that's rescued us, that's come from heaven to find us. And I pray, Jesus, that we'll take this story and we won't just live with the label, but we'll live with this pursuit of loving those around us. Now, I don't know if you've heard this story for the first time. I don't know if you've ever even had the experience of being the man and somebody ever rescuing you. But Jesus, who is the savior of the world, has offered you to have eternal life with him and he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. And if you've never accepted that love I'm gonna lead us into a prayer. I just want you to repeat after us. Jesus, I pray you rescue me. Everyone else has given up on me. Jesus, I need you to, to take me and to hold me and to give me new life. And Jesus, I trust you with everything. And while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you said that prayer for the first time in your life, I just want you to raise your hand. I'm going to count to three, and we're going to raise our hand. One, two, three. Let's go. Let's go. Jesus, thank you so much for new life. Thank you so much for your love for us. And thank you so much, Jesus, for not just having the label of Savior and the label of Messiah, but thank you so much, Jesus, for choosing to love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us today. You know, if you raise your hand at the end of our service, we would love to follow up with you. If you just go to our website and fill out a contact form, we would love to be able to get some resources in your hands to be able to help you in your spiritual journey. You know, don't forget that next week is Easter weekend. You know, we're gonna have a special Friday event this year for Good Friday, two services, one at seven, one at nine. You don't wanna miss it just to set the tone for your Easter weekend. And then we will see you here uh, at 9.30, 11, 1, 3, or 5 for our Easter services. Also, we have created a six-day devotional that we can all go through together. You can go to the YouVersion Bible app and you can search for it. And you can also friend me, Stephen Gibbs, and we can walk through that together over the course of the week as we prepare for the greatest day in Christian history. I hope you guys have a great week and I look forward to our Easter experience with you next Sunday.